A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards, and I am glad that you were with us on the program today. Apologies, by the way, for uh, Friday. Had uh, some unforeseen circumstances pop up. Um, talked about a little bit uh, online. My wife, you know, who has been uh, dealing with lung cancer for uh, about four and a half years now, um, just was not feeling good. The uh, latest treatment that she's on was just really kind of kicking her butt, so we had to uh, end up going to the hospital. Good news is she's feeling better. Uh, fingers crossed and uh, prayers up that she's able to continue on with this uh, course of treatment. But uh, I do appreciate all those who reached out and uh, let me know that you were thinking about it and that you were praying for. Thank you very, very much. Now, on the program today, we've got John Stokes joining us. He is the editor of The Prepared. We're going to talk about uh, what is going on in this country. Uh, and, you know, I got to tell you, we could talk for we could talk for five hours about everything that is going on. Uh, since we last had a show on Thursday, the um, deplatforming of uh, conservatives on Twitter, the deplatforming of the president uh, on virtually all social media accounts, uh, the push for new gun control laws that we're seeing here, uh, the crackdown on uh, uh, free speech, the uh, plans for expansion of um, you know, things like the Patriot Act. Uh, we're, we're in, a, in a, a very troubling time here. But one thing that stretches no matter if you're where you stand on the, on the political spectrum. And by the way, it's not that there are just now two parties in this country. I, I, I firmly believe that the, uh, the party system uh, is probably not going to survive in its current form in the next couple of years on both the left and the right. So no matter where you stand in the political spectrum, I want you to be safe. I want your family to be safe during these uncertain times. So we're going to get into the politics this week. But today, I want to talk about being prepared in this time of uncertainty. Americans, um, we're doing a pretty good job, I think, at least many of us are, of, of ensuring that we can protect ourselves and our families uh, we once again saw huge lines outside of gun stores this weekend. The, the type of lines that we saw back in March, like the first weekend that those lockdown orders went into effect. We saw that again uh, in, you know, Utah, Los Angeles, Alabama, I mean, everywhere. Uh, chances are, if there's a gun store near you, it had one of the busiest days in history. I uh, saw a quote from a gun store owner in Alabama. He says, generally on a Saturday, they'll do eighteen dollars to $20,000 worth of business. He said they did $45,000 worth of business. Now, now, keep in mind, eighteen dollars to $20,000 worth of business over the last year or so, that's already factoring in an increase in sales. We just went through a record-setting year in terms of gun sales. And this past weekend, sales were double what they normally were, at least for this gentleman down in uh, Alabama. But it's more than just ensuring that you have a firearm, that you have ammunition that you can uh, use to protect yourself and your family. That is a critically important part of being prepared, but it is not the only step that you can take. So join us to talk about what you can do and uh, where we might be headed here. Uh, very pleased that the uh, editor of the prepared.com, John Stokes, could join us today and spend some time with us. 
Take a look and a listen. Hey, John, thanks so much for coming on the show, sir. It's good talking with you today. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's amazing. I, mean, I was just thinking as I was getting ready to, uh, to talk to you this morning about our first conversation last March uh, after the lockdowns ensued, we saw the you know huge lines of folks outside of gun stores. I, I knew we were in for a crazy year. Uh, I did not think that we would be here, uh, unfortunately. But uh, but but here we are. So I'm 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 curious, man, just to get your take. Um, where do you think we're headed here in the next couple of? Let, let let's stick with the next say month. Where do you think this country is headed over the next four weeks? Um, I guess the way that I, I respond to that is to say that the space of possibilities has gotten wider than it normally is. Uh, you know, there's just a big range. And so it's really hard. I, I, I tend not to like to make concrete projections, but I just think in terms of scenarios. And, you know, in general, for me, there's a couple of interlocking things. One is the pandemic. Um, you know, it's quite serious. The hospital overwhelm is quite serious. Um, we are maybe at 25% um, total infected across the country. Um, you know, a lot of regions have fewer. Some regions maybe have a little bit more, some hot spots. But max, max, I think, you know, a quarter of people have, have had this or have it right now currently. And that means that, you know, we got 75% left to run. Um, and in the regime of exponential growth, uh, that's going to be, um, it's going to come faster than you think. So, so there's the pandemic piece. Um, you're still there. It looks like frozen yep. up a little bit. Yeah, yeah so there, there's the pandemic piece and, you know, loss of access to like hospital. There's, a, there's going to be knock on effects on, um, on supply chain. So I'm hearing more rumors of aluminum. Um, CO2 type shortages, so canned goods, um, soft drinks, that stuff may start to um, uh, start to thin out. Uh, there was a wave of, of uh, supply destruction in the beginning of the lockdowns. A lot of hogs culled, milk dump, soybeans. We interviewed supply chain experts at universities and ag guys, and they told us that that material that was destroyed in March would be hitting the market in January and February of 2021. So now, and so that we would not feel the supply chain crunch until like right about now. So if you see some prices go up, you see th some things getting scarce, it's that, that dumping that you saw um, back in the middle of the pandemic. So you got supply chain things going on um, that are starting to kind of take hold. You've got the pandemic stuff taking hold. And of course the political situation. You know, and so all this stuff is really volatile. And for me, um, because you don't know what's going to pop off and where um, to sort of transition to the preparedness part, a lot of what you really need to think about are just comms and situa situational awareness, you know, radio, staying in touch with people, um, not putting too much stock in rumors, but trying to stay stay informed. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean believe every, everything that comes across your Facebook feed. Right. You should probably take most of that with a grain of salt. But in terms of your local area, um, you got to know what's happening, um, what's going on, and, you know, be able to keep your head down. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and I mean, again, you just laid out some of the stressors that, uh, that are on this country right now and on individual Americans. Um, and, you know, you look at, 
Everything from the rise in suicides, the staggering increase in drug overdose deaths over the past nine months or so, increase in violent crime in many places around the country. Uh, you know, all of those things are, are additional stressors uh, related to what you just described, the political environment, the COVID uh, environment, the lockdowns, the supply chain issues. Uh, you know, I, I think, I, and, and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an optimistic guy, but I think people do really need to take this seriously. We are sort of in uncharted waters as far as certainly any of us uh, alive today. Uh, we've never seen our country go through this many stresses uh, at the same time, have this many fractures at the same time. Um, and so, you know, I think it's important that people understand this is not business as usual right now. Yeah, you know, you, you can't, this is a complex system and, and you can't just dismantle big chunks of it, like um, social gatherings and parts of the economy and jobs and, you know, political support, um, healthcare system, access to emergency rooms and expect things to just kind of bump along. Um, you know, there, that means that you, you may have a breakdown in one part that throws an error or a problem in another. A good example was the, um, the CO2 shortage that resulted in, um, early on, that resulted in uh, um, a shortage of like canned soft drinks and then also water purification materials, you know, because that's an input into that system. So you have these two weird things, which is like municipal water and Coca-Cola, um, both affected by like a CO2 shortage, like somewhere back up in the supply chain. So my point being that, you know, things are going to are going to pop up and they're going to come up and they're going to be weird and unexpected. And it's it's going to be because something, you know, five steps up in the system, there was a domino effect. And so all of this is stuff to be aware of and stuff to think about, you know, and people should mostly I, I mean, the way I think of preparedness in a lot of cases is maintaining your options. So you really want to focus on things that give you options. And so food you know, water, that stuff gives you optionality, but also having gas on hand gives you op optionality to be able to leave, you know, if you want. I really wouldn't have less than, you know, three quarters of a tank right now. I'd have, I'd have fuel on my property, um, you know, because you don't know when a gas line is going to emerge because of some panic. So I, I think in general, um, people should, should stay on top of their preps, stay on top of their stockpiles, and also just kind of stay connected, stay plugged in. Um, you know, if you're, if you're not a radio person, you're just an internet person, maybe figure out what the local emergency radio is and stay tuned in. You know, you don't have to go out and get a ham certification, but just keep your communication options open. What advice would you give um, elected officials, either at the, the national level or at the state level or even local level about how to, uh, maybe de-escalate things, you know, uh, uh, try to start to, to, to calm things down. Not just the, the words that, that they would say, because I don't know that people are, are going to listen to just words, but what, what, what concrete steps could elected officials be taking right now to try to alleviate some of these concerns and the fear that a lot of Americans face, whether again, it's the loss of a job or whether it's, you know, the, the fear of, uh, uh you know, 75 million Americans, uh, uh being, uh, silenced or, or targeted as others right now. Yeah, this is, you know, this is really difficult. I mean, I, I, I certainly um, am extremely alarmed at, at the deplatformings and just the thoroughness of it. 
Um, I mean, this, and even some of my friends on the left are very alarmed. You know, I think there is certain, there are certainly people on the left that cheer this, but uh, I, I think it's very stupid to cheer this. I can see um, sort of hand wringing and regrettably saying, well, you know, I believe there was an emergency, something had to be done, whatever. That's an argument that we can have, but I think cheering it is really dumb. Um, so, you know, don't cheer the deplatforming would be one. Um, I mean, if you have to talk about it, talk about how bad this is and how something has to be fixed. And, you know, this is maybe an emergency measure, but it's not sustainable or whatever other kind of messaging. Um, you know, I think people are in a very precarious situation uh, economically. You know, people need help. They need access to money. Um, they need support. I know it's controversial, these checks and stuff, but I personally am a fan of the checks. I'm like, give people some checks right now. Um, and we'll figure this out later because they need support. Um, the vaccine, all of this prioritization and stuff, don't let these doses go to waste. Just say we're going to commit to get vaccines in people's arms if they want them. Um, you know, so everybody that wants a vaccine can get it. And if if you jump the line, who cares? Uh, you know, so so that's a that's I think is a concrete step. So I think there are things like that. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it sounds like what you're describing are, are, are nuts and bolts, right? Things that, that on the left and the right, we need government to be able to function. Uh, and there are a lot of folks, again, on the left and the right who say that the government is not functioning right now. And you can look at, uh, you know, the vaccine, I think, is a perfect example of this. Um, you know, you've got states that are basically left up to deciding how these vaccines are going to be distributed. Uh, I saw a headline in, uh, out of New York today where... You know, there are hospitals who are being fined for giving vaccines out of order. And yet you've got other hospitals that are having to throw away vaccines because they don't have enough people in, you know, stage 1A or whatever coming in to get the vaccines. I mean, that is that's ridiculous. And again, it 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 exacerbates the problem. Um, I think it's actually really wise advice to tell elected officials focus on the nuts and bolts of government, focusing on, on the on the basics here. But I'll be honest with you, John. I mean, I, I don't know. We've, we 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 could have said that for years, right? Focus on oh. the on the nuts and bolts. Uh, I don't know that government does that all that well these days. I, I you know it seems like uh, the politics is more important than the actual policies that that matter to individual Americans in many cases. Yeah, you know, there's just a there's just such a big push right now. People are people are angry um, and. You know, I see amongst my friends on the left this really strong desire. You know, I don't want to get into was it a coup or anything like this, but it's like, okay, let's take your premises. You think that there was an attempted violent coup and, you know, all this other kind of stuff. Um, why don't you take the approach that you take with the riots and say, let's look at root causes. Let's look at people's insecurity. Let's look at the fact that um, they have been told to shelter in place. Let's look at the fact that they are um, in some cases worried about their jobs. Um, all the, you know, let's look, let's focus on the root causes as a matter of emergency and not focus on um, rounding up people and, you know, pushing trials and all this other kind of business. Um, that's my feeling on this is, is whatever it is that you think happened and however bad you think it is, 
we can at least all agree that there's an economic emergency, that there's a pandemic emergency, and that that is driving a lot of what we've seen. I mean, I personally certainly believe that the summer protests would mm-hmm. not have been close to what they were if it would not have been for the pandemic. The same thing with the 6th, what happened on January the 6th. We would not have seen anything like that if we had not seen the pandemic and the lockdowns. But, you know, everybody wants to wants to apportion blame for this and that and say, you know, blame whiteness or whatever kind of thing. I mean, look, we have to talk about root causes and the fact that we are now closing in on half a million dead, you know, at some point in the next couple of weeks. And that doesn't count excess deaths. You know, and every at the, at the prepared, uh, we have some medical experts and some bioinformatic guys. Um, and early on in this pandemic, we looked at a lot of the studies uh, coming out of Italy and Iran and China. And in every place where this virus was allowed to overwhelm the local healthcare system, excess mortality was five to six X. And so excess mortality is um, the deaths that happened because you couldn't get to the hospital. Heart attacks, you know, stabbings, gunshots, and triage type deaths because the, the system was overwhelmed. And those exceeded the COVID deaths by five or six, uh, by a multiple of five or six. So in these, in these areas where there is a lot of, um, a lot of, of uh, hospital overwhelm, there will be a lot of deaths. And we have this issue here. I personally know people in Texas um, who have had loved ones that have passed and the, the cremation and the morgue thing is like, it's backed up, you know, it's backed up um, for like weeks and weeks and weeks because there are enough bodies now that the system is starting to choke. So, so these are all root causes that you got to tackle before we get into um you know, blame this, blame that. But I got to tell you, you know, this stuff isn't over. We're still in the middle of it. And the stuff that we saw on one sixth, I think that was the, the um, you know, that was the appetizer. Uh, I, I really think we're going to see more at the state houses soon. Um, we, we may see more again in DC. Uh, and we're going to see different kind of one-off things and, and, and other kind of, you know, violence and other kind of business. And, in countries where that happens, like Sri Lanka, or, or even, you know, even take the United States. Um, during, we had like a full-blown civil war, right? But, you know, the stock market still traded through most of it. You could still get the mail um, in a lot of cases. And there was still, you know, a fair amount of, of course, infrastructure was in a different state back then. But this, this happens, you know, Northern Ireland, Sri Lanka. Um, people still go to the grocery store. They still get deliveries. There is still a supply chain. There is still a stock market. Um, and you just sort of move about in the midst of this. And then, you know, you find there was an explosion at the, at the courthouse or, or, you know, there was an attack somewhere or whatever. And I feel like that's the kind of um, the kind of state that we may find ourselves in uh, in 2021. I hope not. But I think that that's a possibility. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm with you. Um, I, I, you know, and, and, and folks who are watching might disagree with me, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think that we're going to see uh, in the short term anyway, the, the dissolution of the United States. I don't think we're going to see states uh, declare that they're, you know, independent nations. I, I just, we're, we're not there yet. And hopefully we never get to that point. Um, but yesterday, I don't know, did you ever read the book Days of Rage? 
by uh, Brian Burroughs, I think was the, the author's name. It was about the, the 1970s. It was about what happened after the sort of the, the idealism of the 1960s collapsed. And it followed the Weather Underground and the uh, SLA and the other, you know, sort of revolutionary groups. And I yesterday I just I just kept thinking, uh, are we going back to, you know, 1970s 2.0? Is that what we're going to see here? Um, this sort of, you know, people forget, but I mean, there were in the early 1970s, there was a bombing a day, if not more. Uh, now, these were not bombs that were necessarily meant to take human lives, but this was a, a sustained campaign that lasted for years. And you had a number of these little splinter groups um, that, that, you know, you read about this today and it just it sounds so foreign to uh, those of us who grew up in the 80s or 90s when it was a, a much more you know, peaceful time. Um, but I could see something like that happening very easily where you've got these, you know, marginalized and radicalized groups across the political spectrum that 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 decide to, you know, wage these types of campaigns against civil society and against our institutions. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally think um, along the model of a return to the 70s, there's a, an essay that, that uh, Rick Perlstein is a historian wrote, and I'll have to find it, send it to you, but um, I can't remember the title right now. But it's about um, how it, there's a quick summary of how many bombings there were in the 70s and how many politicians were shot and how many attempts there were on like, you know, lives of the president and, and so on and so forth. This was a this was a thing and people got on. Um, we didn't have social media amping us all up. And so this is, the, I think, going to be the difference when this, if and when that returns, if and when we are seeing, um, you know, bombings of the kind we just saw in Nashville uh, on a more regular basis, attempts on the lives of public figures. Um, people are now plugged into Facebook and Twitter. And that changes the game. That um, amplifies a lot of the sense of fear and alert and alarm in a way that wasn't possible in an era when you just, this was a thing that happened on the news. And you got your news in the space of 30 minutes every evening and possibly a newspaper in the morning that you read with coffee. And then you went on to your job, you know, and you weren't just plugged in, you weren't doom scrolling. But if the entire country is doom scrolling, and we have a 70s style, um, I heard a Palestinian friend call it an intifada. Um, you know, if we, got, if we have something like that, um, then that's going to that's gonna change, you know, the mind space that people occupy. And many of these things in the 70s, we did not have a pandemic. And, you know, we didn't have, so not only did we have smartphones, we didn't have social media, we didn't have a pandemic. So these things are going to intersect and feedback on each other in weird ways that that will be worth watching. So in terms of being prepared, obviously, you talked about, you know, look, have have three quarters of a tank of gas in your car, have some some gas at home, uh, two weeks supply of food and water. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, I mean, you know, you brought up social media. Do you think people should be limiting their their time online right now? To, to prepare themselves to, to, you know, sort of strengthen their own mental health at this point rather than doom scrolling for hours through your social media feeds? Yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, one, one thing I do, I've got friends that I know are online and I know that they will signal me if something insane happens. And, you know, I know I'm not going to miss anything because I'm connected to enough people and I can be like, okay, I'm going to force myself to take a bit of a fast on this stuff 
And I know that if something pops off, I will get an alert, you know, from a buddy. And that's a thing that people can and should do either formally or informally be like, look, man, you know, I'm going to take, um, you know, a day off of social media uh, and decompress. And if something really crazy happens, give me a call. You know, it'd be good to hear a voice. Um, you know, if you can't call me, shoot me a text or something and I'll go on and look. Um, people are spending too much time with this stuff. Just last Sunday, our pastor um, the past two Sundays, the, my pastor has tried to encourage all of us to just get off. He's like, you know, get off social media and just tune in on the 21st and see what happened. You know? Um, and, and I think this is good advice. Uh, I've got to be on there for my job. You've got to be on there for your job. If you don't have to be on there, um, then, then maybe let somebody else in your network take a shift. Yeah. Well, look, and I can tell you, I mean, even, yes, I have to be online for my job, but I I don't spend my entire day scrolling through my Twitter feed. And at night, in the evenings, when I'm done with work, uh, you know, I, I make sure I block off time. We've got like, we you know, my wife and I have TV time. So we've got an hour, hour and a half where we're going to watch a show together. Um, I, I try to give myself an hour every night to just read a book. Right. Not just, you know, read bite sized little snippets of information and opinion online, but to actually sit down with an honest to goodness physical book and just read long form, whether it's history, sometimes it's fiction. Most of the time it's not. It's nonfiction, but it still is just a way to, you know, provide that little bit of separation, just that respite. It doesn't it doesn't stop the outside world from from continuing on, but it does give me a chance to sort of mentally recharge my batteries uh, and I think that's really important because, look, I mean, I don't care what your situation is. I don't care if you're lucky enough to have held on to your job over the past year. Your finances are secure. Every one of us, I think, is feeling the stress of what is, you know, going to go down as one of the most stressful years, uh, not just in U.S. history, but I think in world history in the last hundred years. We're living it. It's OK to acknowledge that we are living through a stressful time uh, and that we're all sort of feeling it. And we all need to take the steps we can. Uh, to to be as prepared uh, as possible for, uh, you know, whatever unforeseen circumstances might be coming our way in 2021. Uh, John Stokes, the prepared.com is where folks can find you. Lots of fantastic information uh, on how to keep safe and secure. Thank you so much for your time today, sir, and uh, look forward to doing this again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I do appreciate to John joining us on the program. Uh, now, listen, before we get to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, our recidivist report, I, I, I really don't want to get into the politics too deeply today. But I will say along these same lines of steps that you can take to be prepared, things that you can do. John had a lot of great ideas. Uh, I will add one more to them. And that is get involved. Get involved particularly in your local, I don't even want to say political party, but just get involved locally. You know, I've seen so many folks over the past few days say, ah, the time for politics is done. It's not. It never is. It never is. There is never going to be a time when politics doesn't come into play. Even in 1776, for God's sakes, we still had elections. You still had local elections. You still had elections to the Continental Congress. As John mentioned, during the Civil War, you know, not only did you still have mail delivery, you still had uh, folks going to the, well, back then it probably wasn't the grocery store, the general store, 
You still had goods being delivered, but you also had an election in 1862. You had an election in 1864. Politics is never going to be unimportant unless we get to, you know, Mad Max. If we get there, okay, then you can quit paying attention to politics. But until then, we're going to have local governments. We're going to have state governments. We are going to have Congress. We are going to have uh, a federal uh, presidential administration. These things are not going to disappear, and they don't become unimportant. In fact, I would argue that particularly when our rights are threatened at by one level of government, it becomes incumbent on us to become more involved in those other layers of government. So if you haven't been to your county supervisor's meeting or your city hall meeting, uh, you know, for your city council, go. You might have to go online right now, but go. Be a part of these things. Be involved. Be engaged. Because I think that is a much better path forward than simply throwing up your hands in disgust, saying, I forget it. Politics is so irrevocably broken. There's no point in me even being involved anymore. Politics is pretty broken. I won't deny it. But it doesn't disappear. It doesn't become less important. Uh, and in troubled times, again, your local governments, your state governments can serve as a lifeline. We'll be talking again a lot more about that in the uh, days to come. But uh, I hope that despite the uh, uncertainty, despite the uh, unrest and the COVID closures and every other stressor that we just talked about. I hope that you and yours uh, will be safe in the days and weeks ahead. All right, so let's turn our attention. It has been a couple, uh, it's been a little while. It's been a minute since we've gotten to our good deed of the day, our armed citizen story, our recidivist report, but we will do so now. Starting with our recidivist report story, a headline out of Chicago, Illinois, over the weekend, where a, a man uh, ended up shooting a number of people uh, randomly, apparently, over a period of several hours. Uh, three people dead, four wounded, and uh, officials say that uh, this guy posted several videos, not just in the hours before these shootings happened, but apparently in the weeks before. 32-year-old Jason Nightingale Police say apparently chose his victims at random. He was killed in a shootout just north of Chicago about four hours after authorities say he shot his first victim uh, at a uh, parking garage on the south side of the city of Chicago. 30-year-old Yiren Fan, a, a University of Chicago student from China. 20-year-old Anthony Falker. 46-year-old Aisha Neville, uh, all killed by Mr. Nightingale. A 77-year-old woman, an 80-year-old woman, wounded. By Nightingale, a 15-year-old girl wounded as well. Another woman shot in the neck in Evanston, Illinois. Now, the Washington Post says authorities didn't release many details about Nightingale, a Chicago man who uh, worked apparently in recent years as a janitor, security guard, and forklift operator. But disturbing videos, they say, posted to Facebook over two years under Nightingale's middle name, Oliver, offered clues about his state of mind. In one posted on Thursday, Nightingale held a gun to the camera, muttered unintelligible statements as he appeared to be driving. Uh, said in the video, quote, no music, no, no music. I, I don't need no seatbelt. I'm coming, girl. Posted dozens of these short videos, apparently. Uh, one, he said, I'm going to blow up the whole community. Now, according to authorities, Chicago police 
was taken into custody back in October of 2019 on multiple driving-related offenses, including driving on a suspended license. But his criminal record actually goes back to 2005 uh, and includes arrests for both gun and drug violations, aggravated assault, domestic battery in 2019. Mr. Nightingale was not a legal gun owner. Uh, it looks like, based on his criminal history, he was a, a prohibited person. Uh, again, you kind of have to wonder, all right, so given this guy's record that goes back to 2005, what, if any, punishment did he receive? What, if any, treatment did he receive? Were there any uh, you know, mental issues that uh, 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 appeared in some of these more recent cases back in 2018, back in 2019? Was there any sign that uh, you know, maybe this guy didn't just need time behind bars, but he also needed a little help upstairs as well? And was any help even offered? Kind of sounds like the answer to that is no, but uh, we'll keep our eyes on this story and give you more developments in the days to come. Uh, today's Armed citizen story from Miami, Oklahoma. Not Miami. Don't say it that way. They don't like it when you do that. Miami, Oklahoma, where an intruder was killed by a homeowner armed with a shotgun at a uh, Miami residence there. According to the police chief in Miami, uh, Chief Thomas Anderson, 30-year-old Roger Nellums died around 1 a.m. Friday. He had been released from the Ottawa County Jail on Tuesday. Yeah, just a couple of days earlier, released from the Ottawa County Jail on charges of knowingly receiving or concealing stolen property as well as false declaration of ownership and pawn. So basically he stole stuff, allegedly, and then uh, pawned it. Um, burglary in progress reported uh, in Miami around 12.16 in the morning. Resident told police he shot the person who broke into his home. Kyle told police that he was in his living room when a man began banging on the back door. He said he armed himself with a shotgun after he heard somebody climb through the window of a back bedroom. Uh, he told police he fired once at the man, identified as Nellums, after the intruder approached the resident. Nellums taken to a local hospital where he was pronounced deceased. Uh, online court records show that 12 warrants had been issued for Nellums in Ottawa County in cases dealing with child abuse, violating a protective order, domestic assault and battery, burglary of an automobile, larceny, drug violations, concealing stolen property, and threatening acts of violence. Uh, the police chief there in Miami says no charges are expected against the homeowner who acted in self-defense. And finally today, we've got our good deed of the day from Wilmington, North Carolina, where a police officer credit was saving the life of a child during a medical emergency. Officer Mizrahi with the Wilmington Police Department, was nearby. It was a week ago today when a 10-year-old girl went into cardiac arrest, according to a release from the Wilmington PD. Yeah, 10 years old. Police dispatched. Within 90 seconds, Officer Marazzi was on scene and performing CPR on the young girl. Wilmington Fire and EMS units arrived two minutes later. They were able to regain a pulse on the young girl. She was transported to a local hospital where she is currently recovering. And uh, paramedics say that they credit Officer Mizrazi's quick action to begin medical assistance with saving the young girl's life. So in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. Officer Mizrazi with the Wilmington, North Carolina Police Department, we thank you very much for your very good deed. That is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I do want to thank you for being a part of the program as well. We'll be back tomorrow with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information. Make sure as well, by the way, that you're following along at BearingArms.com, uh, where we've got updates on uh, the potential for gun control legislation in Congress, as well as what some states are doing. 
uh, to try to restrict the right to keep and bear arms, as well as efforts in states to expand and protect our Second Amendment rights. That's the other message I want to leave you with here today. Think about the long game. I know in the short term, things look incredibly bleak right now. But if you're able to look beyond the trees, through the forest, I, I, I think that you will see that um, as precarious uh, as the, the nation's situation is at the moment, that we should not despair. We should not give up hope. We should not embrace nihilism and say, ah, forget it. It's time to just burn it all down. Because it's not. It's not. There are, again, um, a lot of stressors on our country. A lot of stressors on us as individuals. But there are also firewalls. There are checks and balances. And I continue to hope. I can't say I've got a lot of faith here, but I continue to hope that our elected officials will take some of those steps to try to de-escalate the tensions in our country as opposed to um, adding fuel to the fire. So have a great rest of your Monday, at least as well as you can. We'll be back tomorrow with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. But in the meantime, be well, be safe, and be free.